Welcome to another episode of Behind Biotech. We've been busy building the next phase of Behind Biotech, which we're super excited to share with you all, hopefully soon. Today's guest is George Chen, founder and CEO of D3Bio. D3Bio is a global biopharmaceutical company named for the philosophy of development, discovery, and then back to development again that underlies its foundation. In today's episode, we'll speak with George about training as an oncologist in China in the 80s and his initial motivation to come to the United States to learn about immunotherapy, as well as the early days of building Beijing as the company's first chief medical officer. We also spoke to George about the success story of and lessons learned from developing Tegriso, an EGFR TKI for NSCLC at AstraZeneca, China. Finally, we talked to George about what's next for D3Bio after completing a 200 million Series A, the second largest Series A by any biotech company in 2020. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Today, we're thrilled to welcome George Chen, founder and CEO at D3Bio as part of our China Biotech series. George Chen is an oncologist by training with a successful track record in the world of global pharmaceutical companies. Prior to founding D3Bio, Dr. Chen held senior global positions in research, drug development, and management at leading institutions such as the National Institutes of Health and and multinational pharmaceutical companies such as Eli Lilly, GSK, J&J, Beijing, and AstraZeneca. At these organizations, he led development and regulatory registrations of blockbuster drugs into the U.S. and Chinese markets, directing more than 70 IND approvals and more than 30 NDAs. His MD is from the Shanghai Medical College of Fudan University, and his MBA is from the best business school in the world, the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. D3Bio is an in-China for global biotech company aiming to become a world-class biotherapeutic company to develop and register for first and best-in-class medicines for cancer and autoimmune disease patients in large unmet medical needs through a continuously progressing cycle of using the insight of development to guide discovery and back to development process. The company has launched six preclinical portfolio projects with first and best-in-class potential. D3Bio is backed by a syndicate of world-class investors who support underscores their belief in the promise of the company. Major investors include Boyu Capital, Matrix Partners China, Sequoia Capital China, Temasek, and Wusi Aptex Corporate Venture Fund. Thank you, George, for joining us. We are so excited to have you today. So, George, you grew up in China and initially pursued a medical degree. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I grew up in Shanghai, China, and uh, I grew up from um, a physician's family, right? So my grandfather was a physician pediatrician, and my parents, they both are physicians and professors at Shanghai Medical College. So with this kind of influence, I choose uh, my career as a physician. So this is something, you know, it's a family tradition. After I graduate, I choose uh, a surgery as one of the uh, resident training area for myself. And uh, at that time, you know, I thought uh, most of surgery happens uh, 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 mainly in the cardiovascular, CNS area, and oncology. You know, general surgery is not as attractive as I thought. So that's why I choose oncology as the, uh, uh, the area I want to have training. 
But that was, you know, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, immunotherapy is just a pioneering period, pioneering period, right? And uh, this is mainly because the understanding of how immunotherapy works is still very much not as advanced as today. And the biotechnology for creating and developing new therapy is still at a primitive stage. Uh, uh, our clinical trial, which was very exciting, uh, and it was published in the PNS and other medical journal in the early 90s, clearly demonstrate that uh, uh, immunotherapy can bring clinical value to late-stage cancer patients with durable response. So that's how I get into the U.S. and uh, starting to pursue a drug development uh, a career. Excellent. And so in 2005, after studying and working in the U.S. for almost 20 years, you decided to take on a role as the global medicine development leader at GSK, which included becoming the CMO of the Greater China Region, as well as global oncology medicine development leader later at the United States. So um, first question here, what made you decide to turn your attention back to the Chinese market around that time? Uh, it was actually uh, uh, not an initial purpose. I joined the GSK uh, U.S. initially uh, for opportunity in oncology R&D as a development executive for global medicine development. But it happened to be there was the opportunity at the GSK. They approached me, say they needed someone with experience, knowledge, and leadership in drug development and organization building in China. I guess at that time, uh, the things uh, they are, you know, operation for R&D in China was not as uh, great as they wanted. So I took an opportunity to rebuild and transform the GSK medical organization there. The successful you know, transformation of GSK's China and the organization basically laid out a solid foundation for GSK later to establish a global R&D center in Shanghai. And uh, my achievement there was widely recognized in the company and awarded a gold award from GSK's R&D president. And later, I went back to the U.S. again as a medicine development leader for GSK Global Oncology in Pennsylvania College. What was happening in the pharmaceutical industry and the drug development industry in China in the mid-2000s when you decided to become the global medicine development leader at GSK in China? Were other pharmaceutical companies uh, such as Novartis, AstraZeneca, uh, Eli Lilly starting to pay more attention to the Chinese biopharmaceutical industry, or um, was it uniquely GSK that was starting to notice the potential market opportunity in China? Uh, uh, I think, you know, every company at that time started to pay more attention in China because of the size of the country and medical needs and also the economy, right? But everyone's still being very conservative and uh, testing the water. And uh, uh, many of the companies set up the operation of the uh, 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 working with CROs in China. So it was a period, however, multinational introduced many of their mature products to China through a local bridging clinical trial and registration. But that invest investment uh, 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 really you know, uh, uh, helped China to become a country now has a, a drug development industry. At that time, the local regulation policy is still very much, you know, a, a trail behind the advanced market. 
and it's pretty rigid and very much administration oriented. So uh, uh, it is uh, pretty tough sometimes and challenging to set up a meeting with the agency and it required lengthy process, right? So the communication was not as full. However, uh, those local you know, bridging clinical trials funded by multinational really lay out the concept and practice, I see, i.e. the GCP practice uh, 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 in China and really create a, a drug development industry and also train the many drug developers for both uh, industry and academic uh, institutions. So that's how it is being evolving very rapidly. And uh, I, I think now you clearly see many companies, they all have uh, quite a significant uh, R&D operation in China. After your time at GSK, you became the CMO, the first chief medical officer, I believe, at Beijing, and then subsequently the SVP of Global Oncology R&D and president of AZ's R&D in China. What was it like in the early days of Beijing? We've all heard of the company um, at this point. And even those who don't know China Biotech understand that Beijing is much more than China Biotech. It's now a global oncology development um, company. And so we're wondering when you were first getting started at Beijing, what barriers did you have to overcome as a company in the early days and more specifically as a chief medical officer at Beijing? So uh, thank you for, for the great question, right? Beijing was initially founded by uh, a group of, you know, really top talents and entrepreneurs, including John Euler, Peter Ho, Paul Wang, Xiaotong Wang, and I was the first chief medical officer. So the experience is quite exciting and entrepreneurial. And I guess you have to be a captain as well as a foot soldier at the same time. So be a CMO, you know, I have to come up with a development strategy, thinking about creating portfolio as well as uh, executed a medical plan. So my previous training knowledge and experience really served me well at Beijing at this stage. Great. And in your seven years um, at AstraZeneca, was there an evolution in how people thought about the oncology market in China, or was that you know how did that how did that uh, change over time? Uh, it's a quite a, a evolution. Like many other markets and many other multinational, oncology became one of their major focus. I think mainly this is because the one is the higher mathematical needs in oncology, and also the booming of the science in understanding cancer and identify the targets uh, for drug development. And also the innovation mainly led by the US FDA in the regulatory policy side for the, uh, for the oncology drug development globally. And China also uh, made a quicker connection with the global regulatory uh, policy. The hallmark is the, uh, China's you know, uh, membership in ICH in the middle of 2017. So uh, this is a true, you know, a transformational uh, change and also rapid change. Uh, but the things, you know, uh, uh, is not always easy at the beginning, right? So uh, when I was in the AZ uh, uh, in China, uh, one of the example I would like to, you know, highlight is the Tagreso experience. This is a great uh, textbook, you know, example show how 
uh, blockbuster medicine could be developed and accelerated uh, in China. So uh, in 2013, I started uh, uh, taking the role and I spot on uh, this is a compound in the discovery stage, just try to get into the first in man. So I quickly at uh, that time uh, developed a plan for China to do the parallel development and also global development. In other words, China and the US will separate the first indication registration and then converge together using the uh, resources from China and the US to develop global indications for early Lyme patients. And uh, Tagress, as you know, is an uh, anti-EGF mutation in lung cancer. And this is a disease highly prevalent uh, uh, in Asia and uh, more patients from Asia than in the Western countries. So I uh, advocate the idea to the CEO, say, if we do not uh, accelerate this drugs development to get all the resources for China, then you really develop a drug for the minority of the patients. So a company bought in the idea and gave it a good investment and support, but I still make it happen, right? So uh, uh, the drug uh, uh, got approval uh, uh, in China in early 2017, uh, actually a few weeks ahead of the US for approval. Even though at the initial IND time, we had a much longer waiting period. But once I got approval for the IND, everything was accelerated in a very nice speed and also very nice quality. So everything goes through smoothly. So that became you know, a textbook example. And many other companies asking, what happens in AZ? Why they can't do, you cannot do. And then the China regulatory reform recently uh, took place and it became an ICH. So you see the industry is booming. Thank you, George, for sharing that that interesting example of Tegreso and specifically how working with China to develop a drug can not only support a worldwide drug development plan, but can actually accelerate the timeline of drug development, as you had pointed out. And I was wondering, I wanted to talk more about the importance of China joining the International Council of Harmonization, the ICH in 2017. And we have a broad range of listeners, some of whom are very, very well versed in China biotech and others who who are newcomers. And so I was wondering if you could share more information about the importance of that milestone for China biotech and why it was so monumental that China joined the ICH in 2017 and what that meant for the landscape of drug development in China. Yeah, so this is a really transformational point, right? In the past, because many of the drugs introduced to China are the mature products, as I mentioned before, which means when you submitted the R&D, you already have almost everything. which is not a case for a true R&D stage drug. So government became, you know, kind of uh, agency became very much used to say, when you submit R&D, you should have everything. But actually it's not the case because they are not part of ICH countries. They have a different understanding, very risk averse. So that really uh, 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 brought effective drug development. So once they became ICH members, so they started to uh, 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 level the field with the global uh, advanced markets. So they are more open to accept the global standards. 
and more open to have conversation. And they also beef up their staff for, for review and pass the generic and innovative drug are in the same queue. So the number of generic obviously is significantly high. So that really uh, uh, diluted the resources and uh, 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 delayed the innovation drugs review and approval. So that's uh, a huge. And also uh, uh, China CDE also have a close interaction with the major regulatory agency like US, Japan, and Europe. They started to, you know, uh, create uh, something similar like the US priority review, accelerate approval, allow the single arm, you know, for uh, conditional approval, so forth. So that really speed up uh, uh, the things. But at the end of the day, regardless, you still have to do good work and develop a good drug. And the drug has to be a global drug. It cannot be a China drug or the US drug. Excellent. So on that note of really leveraging this new innovation ecosystem developed in China, um, you you recently, um, D3 Bio recently emerged from stealth with a splash in November 2020 after raising a $200 million Series A from blue chip investors such as Boyu Capital, Matrix Partners, uh, Sequoia China, and Wuxi Corporate Venture Fund, as well as Temasek. Can you share with us a little bit about the origin story and vision of D3 Bio, George? Okay, sure. Uh, I always have a passion, want to uh, start my own biotech. And uh, so uh, uh, with the completion of my mission in AZ, right? Which uh, that is building a global R&D center uh, in China with over 500 staff, staffs. It's literally from scratch. I was the number one product. And it delivered over 70 uh, R&Ds and over 35 NDA, SND, BL approvals including the major oncology blockbuster like Tagresso, Limpaz, and Infinity uh, uh, in a seven-year period. So I believe it is the right time, probably in my entire drug development career in the early spring of 2020 to form my own biotech. In addition, I think at that time, the capital market in China was also very vibrant and active. So I want to fully leverage my experience uh, uh, and also develop insight to guide uh, the company. So that's why we created D3, uh, as you mentioned, uh, to use leverage the development insight to guide the discovery and then develop a drug clearly for the patient's needs and clearly position as a new uh, standard of care. So in the uh, uh, first half you know, of 2020, I formed the idea and also called on my friend, Dr. Zhang Jing, who also happened to be a Wharton graduate and worked with me at Eli Lili and Beijing to form the company. Company's vision is really in China for global because I really do believe the medicine has no boundary, right? And the patient has no boundary. So it has to be a company to develop a drug for global patients. And we aim to become a world-class you know, biopharmaceutical company to develop and register first or best in class medicines for the uh, cancer and autoimmune disease, which has a larger mathematical needs. Uh, so uh, uh, with you know, our uh, clear vision and the strategy, uh, 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 we get a, a very strong support uh, uh, from the Wuxi Aptex chairman, Dr. Lee, 
and uh, uh, we uh, uh, tell our vision and the story to the investor based on our experience and track record. They believed, they think that this is uh, very unique and be able to do something meaningful. So that's why we you know, got investments, uh, uh, 200 million USD. And another reason I want to have a bigger round is this would allow me to be very focused, to do something important and also to accelerate uh, the projects instead of do a small round and then go to another round, which will waste a lot of time. So that's what happens, right? Our strategy is, is working, working very well. And in the past six months, these three bio from basically a, 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 a two-man company, today we have already become a global clinical stage company. And we have a portfolio of six internally discovered uh, 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 project uh, uh, for pipeline, three biological and three small molecular focusing on cancers with driver mutation and uh, immunotherapy. And uh, the speed also uh, is uh, incredible. The first compound actually was approved by FDA. Uh, we got a green light to proceed for clinical trial. And from the time of candidate selection to the IND approval, it's literally within 10 months. This is something, you know, uh, record breaking in any standard, regardless of which multinational or the best biotech. So we're very proud of our quality of work and the speed of the work because we're very much focused and focused on the priority and focused on the execution with excellence and quality. Thanks, George. I want to highlight that D3 bio, the three Ds actually stand for development leading to discovery and then leading back to more development. So that's where the D3 bio name yeah. comes from. And I, um, and I really like this, um, your strategy to build at least the first portion of your pipeline and your portfolio on internal R&D. And as you had highlighted there, um, not only have you been able to build a portfolio of six, uh, six candidates that it, of which one is already progressing to the INSD stage or is already at the INSD stage, but that the timeline for drug discovery and development is quite accelerated and um, quite record-breaking even, uh, even by U.S. standards. Can you share a little bit more information about how D3 is accomplishing this and what are the unique assets or attributes of D3, whether that is um, human resources or otherwise, that have enabled you to accomplish such big milestones in such a short span of time. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. Uh, first, you know, we have very good planning session, uh, brainstorming on what we want, why we want, and how each compound uh, itself can stand alone as a therapy with a clear clinical path and also uh, potentially can reinforce each other through the combination. So itself could be a cluster of a new portfolio. And uh, uh, with this kind of thoughts uh, uh, through the uh, very, you know, a sort of research uh, discussion with top uh, industry leader, physicians will come up with a very focused idea. And uh, uh, so that's one. The second one is we recruit a very good team. We want we recruit young people and young people with experience and commitment and also strong interest in our company because of the culture value and pipeline. 
And uh, we leverage CRO for code discovery, not just take something, ask them to make something they make and take it. No, we come up, we give them an idea and we call discovery. So we work up together, shoot by shoot. And also we have a group of top-notch global consultants. They are very senior executive experienced from the top biotech and multinational every type. So they became our consultant as a sounding board to uh, help us to challenge us uh, on the data, on the result, on the direction. So we'll be able to you know, uh, 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 continuously improve and become very effective. And uh, uh, initially, you know, at this stage, at least uh, we do not open the lab, we do not open the manufacturing you know, uh, uh, sites. So we're very, very much focused, focusing on the assets. So project is at hell. Uh, if project wins, we win. So that's how we, we did. Uh, 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 that's why we have the results we have. Excellent, thank you, George. So contrary to the status quo approach of biotech company building in China, where the foundation is typically focused on in-licensing late deals to quickly develop and commercialize, D3 is actually focused earlier in the pipeline on both in-licensing early stage assets, as well as performing internal R&D. So in, in other words, um, in, you're developing a company that's in China for global. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on that philosophy? And specifically, can you share with us more about why you think the global market, as well as the Chinese development ecosystem, are ready for China-first innovative drugs? Uh, first, uh, let me talk about portfolio. You know, uh, as a small startup, I think uh, if you want to get a good license product, it's not easy. So anyone has a promising asset that they generally want to develop internally initially, right? And then find a global partner for the accelerator and uh, add value. Besides a good compound will cost a lot, right? And even a China only rights will be very expensive. So we continuously monitor the industry and opportunity uh, uh, for in-licensing is opportunistic approach. But this is also approach allows us to learn what is going on, right? So we believe the patient has no boundary. Therefore, we want to have the global rights for our drug. And that's why the D3 approach is making sense. And we fully leverage the CRO discovery engine uh, to co-discover the, uh, the molecule and uh, uh, advance them quickly. So that's how we are differentiated. And uh, uh, if you're only focusing on one market, eventually the things in one market may not necessarily working in the ways you want. And I think that the uh, immunocheckpoint inhibiting China is became a typical stories about the uh, uh, loose competition in China and the collapse of the entire price and also the market. Can you can you elaborate more on what you mean by the the checkpoint inhibitor market? I yeah, so because the checkpoint inhibitor as a new uh, 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 you know aging for immunotherapy is very promising, and uh, as the Pembro and the Nevo in the U.S. right, and some of the other drugs. So the Chinese biotech initially started as a low risk me too approach, and uh, 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 this quickly 
being you know uh, 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 learned from by the other companies. So everyone doing the same you know things and without a differentiation. And also their clinical investment is also a quick single arm small indication. And to a point, there are too many checkpoint habit in China the marketing uh, uh, need that uh, uh, basically causing uh, uh, what you just mentioned, uh, you know, uh, the bar for developers to struggle it became incredible high. And also from reimbursement perspective, because there are so many surprises, the price cannot uh, sustain on. So uh, uh, this is, you know, what happened uh, in China. So by focusing only in China, a me too strategy, and uh, not be innovative, eventually uh, 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 you will be basically cannibalized by zillions of the others doing the same things. Earlier in our conversation, you talked about the fact that you have one asset that was recently approved by the FDA to start clinical trials. Can you tell us a little bit more about the clinical development plans for that drug to the extent that you're able to, whether or not you're thinking about developing in the U United States primarily first, or you're pursuing parallel development in China and US and other jurisdictions. Um, and how are you thinking about the global opportunity for this drug? In yeah. So, so when we uh, uh, started this project, uh, we had a clear uh, uh, focus on what we want to do uh, uh, in the clinical and also eventually for the indication of medical practice. So we set up a very high bar uh, for our discovery preclinical research to basically create a compound has the uh, uh, best uh, potency and also very favorable uh, 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 drug ability uh, allow us to advance, right? And because of the science, which is more kind of translatable from clinical finding to the potential clinical, you know, outcome, we uh, uh, quickly, you know, uh, after the IND finding, we uh, 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 we formed a, a global student committee with uh, top KLLs in the area from seven countries and uh, to guide us on the life cycle of the clinical developments. So we come up with a very clear clinical uh, program with focus and also the ambition to be able to. So that's how we do, do differently. We do not just do a compound, uh, what compound try to submit R&D and tell everyone and uh, go to the clinical trials and we have patient dosed. This is our intermediate necessary step to achieve really what we want to achieve, which is make the compound become a drug. Uh, really excited to see what is to come for D3Bio and, um, and especially some of the later stage assets in your pipeline. And speaking of that subject, can you tell us more about what your vision for D3Bio is? What do you what do you want the company to become in five or 10 years? Um, do you want it to be one of the first companies that is pursuing a China first, uh, China first, but for global strategy? And tell us more about how you're thinking about building the, the company as it relates to the next steps. Uh, excellent question. Uh, at this point, uh, we, uh, uh, we are very much focusing on advancing our internal portfolio 
and also monitor the uh, in licensing you know space for complementary in licensing. And uh, uh, for the next uh, major milestone for our company, we hope uh, 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 our first compound can become you know globally approved uh, uh, in 2027 and it became blockbuster in 20 uh, about 2030, right? And uh, we believe we have a strength in the uh, discovery and development. And we want to expand on this. Whether or not we became a full, you know, fledged uh, biopharmaceutical, uh, it will depend on the needs, whether or not we needed to establish manufacturing sales force. But to some time, I believe we will be started expanding ourselves to have a discovery well lab which would allow us to do better collaboration with academic and also CRO. And we are also considering the next phase to have uh, operation in the United States uh, uh, to you know, synergize our operation with, with in China to grow ourselves. So we want to be you know, a, a multi-national uh, 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 biotech company like uh, uh, for example, uh, Seattle Genetics, so forth, you know, as the next uh, 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 stage. But uh, whether or not we will be bigger, like Amgen, you know, it takes time, right? So let's focus on the next uh, uh, deliverables and be loosely focused on the execution and acceleration. I have one more question here on next steps. So I know that some of our listeners are probably, are, well, so I know some of our listeners are business development folks at Biopharma, also uh, tech transfer folks at major universities in the United States. So just wanted to put a pitch out there for D3Bio for anyone who's listening that they're uh, looking for some assets to in license. So one last question here, George, as you're looking back at some of the arc your career has already gone through, um, do you have any advice that you would give to your younger self? Maybe George, Dr. George Chen, as he's first entering medical school or first entering the U.S. or going back to China at any point. Okay, so everyone has to, you know, uh, have a dream, right? Has a, a career ambition. And uh, uh, folks, uh, uh, that's number one. Next one is uh, folks on uh, learn and develop experience as much as you can and uh, uh, be, you know, uh, 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 brave, right, ambitious. And at a certain point, you have to use these talents to launch your own business, to advance your dream and to real, and then realize it. So be very focused and realistic and focused. That's very important. And also be tenacious. Do not easily give up uh, uh, what you are doing. Uh, oftentimes, the last mile, you always give up in the last mile. And then if you really, you know, uh, be persistent and resilient and finish the last mile and you became a big success. So that's my advice. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed our conversation today as much as we did. For an episode recap, updates on more episodes and our writings, you can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and our website at behindbiotech.com. I'm not afraid to